So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to take you back a few years for some of us, a lot of years for others, uh, to school. And that phrase that many of us will have uh, heard from maths teachers, show your working. Show your working. I don't know if you're a maths teacher, uh, do you still use that phrase? Uh, show your working. You've got a sum, you just put down the answer, and they say, well, show us your working. I can imagine that if a math teacher came to Philippians and was reading up until this point, uh, they might write in the margins at this point, show your working, Paul. Because up until this point in the book of Philippians, he has somewhat failed to do so. The letter of Philippians has been an amazing journey so far. If you haven't made it to all the talks, please do download them from the St. Helens website so that you can hear something of what we've been up to. Paul has been laying out this amazing prospect of a, of a life well-lived, of, of better choices, of being able to make the best decisions and join him on the path of joy. It's what he prayed for them at the start. It's what he modeled a couple of weeks ago. And last week in this central section of the book, as it began in chapter 1, verse 27, it was as though he extended the baton to all of us and said to us, 1 verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And we saw more of what that meant last week. But up until this point, he hasn't explained all of his working, by which I mean he's not particularly explained to us the mindset that lies behind everything that he has been uh, describing. And so the excellent life that he's been holding up has still been just slightly out of reach. He's given us clues. In his prayer at the beginning of the book, he told us that the route to excellent thinking was by love abounding more and more with knowledge and all discernment, a kind of loving mindset. Now, that was a quite a useful clue. A couple of weeks ago, he told us his, his life motto, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That, again, was a very useful clue. But many of us might still have been left thinking, well, what does that actually mean? Show us your working, Paul which is what we get to this week. Uh, this week, uh, he explains the mindset which will be significant for all of the rest of this book. Let me say, significant for all of the rest of our lives. This passage that we're looking at this week is key to unpacking the whole thing. 
Which is why, as William mentioned earlier, we're spending two weeks in these 11 verses. 1 verse 21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That might be the key verse for the book. But this passage is the theological heart of the letter. At least that's what I think it is. William might get up in a few weeks and tell us chapter 3 is the theological heart of the letter, in which case we'll just see Philippians like a kind of octopus book. It's got multiple hearts. But at least Philippians 2, 1 to 11, let me suggest, is the heart of this book. And so we have two weeks to unpack Paul's working. Two weeks to see why this mindset is the path to excellent thinking. Two weeks to help us to follow this excellent path. Means we're going to need to work hard. Uh, let me give you a heads up. What we see this evening is going to be challenging to all of us, but it is so worth it. And if you're inclined at any point to doubt that it is worth it, Paul says that you already know it is from your experience. That's where he begins point one in the handout. You've already tasted gospel goodness. You've already tasted gospel goodness. Look down with me at chapter two, verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And on he goes. If you've got any of these things, says Paul, if you've experienced any of this, and that's not the if of uncertainty. Oh, not sure about this, guys, but um, if there's any chance that maybe one or two of you have experienced a little bit of this, that's not what he means. It's more like given that you have, if you've had this experience, which I sort of know that you have, he's convinced they are the very things that they have experienced. And on the basis of that experience, uh, he'll be ready to make the instruction in verse two. As for what these specific things are, well, there's quite a few different possibilities of what they could be, and I've struggled to make a decision. You can come and tell me later if you think I've completely lost the plots. The love there, comfort from love. Is that referring to God's love or Paul's love or their love? The affection and sympathy, is that something they've experienced or something they've expressed? I've struggled to say for sure, and as at least one scholar suggested, that might be deliberate on Paul's part. They are deliberately compressed and vague because the point is not to try and draw attention to specific experiences, but to highlight the, the positive experience in general of having been partners in the gospel. So encouragement in Christ. Uh, maybe that encouragement that comes from knowing Jesus. The extraordinary, the extraordinary feeling of knowing sins forgiven. Have you tasted that? Or comfort from love. Maybe that warmth of knowing a, a God who, the God who created you knows you, loves you, cares for you. His son died for you. His people who've become family. Have you tasted that? participation in the Spirit, or as it could be translated, partnership in the Spirit. The experience of working alongside other Christians, of striving together for the sake of the gospel, as we thought about last week, of working with other believers to see the world get the opportunity to hear the wonderful news of Jesus. Have you tasted that? Or affection and sympathy? Is that the affection and sympathy of God? Or maybe the affection and sympathy of God that is mirrored in his people. Or maybe even that affection and sympathy that you have started to feel towards others as God's spirit grows that in you. Have you tasted that? 
whatever they are, Paul draws their attention to the goodness of the gospel that they have already experienced. Before he gets to the instruction in verse 2, he says, you already know this is good. It's not like arriving at a restaurant and getting the menu and trying to work out if you can recognize any of the dishes. Have you had that sort of experience before? Have you ever been to a restaurant like that? I realize some of us have only been to McDonald's and you've probably been able to work out those things. But you know those restaurants where you have to second guess everything or you get Google Translate out and you try and work out what now aioli is. Which I think it's basically just posh mayonnaise, isn't it? Anyway, uh, I had a family come round to the flat on Monday this week and one of them was clearly hungry but impossible to feed uh, one of the kids, uh, young kids. No matter what was put in front of him, uh, he said he didn't like it. And in fairness, some of the food was a bit more exotic. It's not the sort of thing you'd have found in one of those restaurants. But the thing was, his mum kept saying to him, you've had that before, you know it, you know it's good. You've already tasted this. I know you like it. When I offered the hotel chocolate around, it's come up again in the illustration, I've managed to make it come up again. It's not coming out there this time, I'm sorry, Paul. Uh, but when I did hand it out, uh, when I started talking about this, there was an ooh that spread around. Because you know, some of you, because you've tasted it, that it's good. Of course, some of us haven't tasted the gospel. Some of us haven't tasted these things in verse 1. Uh, you look at these flavors, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation a partnership with other Christians, affection, sympathy. Uh, maybe you think they all sound like new flavors to me. Maybe you're here as someone who's not a Christian or someone who's just not had very much involvement in church at all. Well, if that's the case, then let me say you're missing out. Lots of us have been able to taste these things. We know that we like it. And if you haven't, please chat to somebody, maybe the person who invited you, a Christian that you know, and find out from them the wonder that it is to know the Lord Jesus. Come along to these events that we've got coming up, a Friday's jazz event, and next week, various events. Find out why it's such a good thing to be a Christian. But for those of us who have tasted this, who know it, who know that we like it, I wonder how often do you spend time just reflecting on that experience, on the encouragement you have from knowing Jesus, on what a wonderful thing it is to know that you're loved, on what a brilliant privilege it is to have a team together to engage in this work on moments when someone has shown you affection or when you have started to feel sympathy to others? Do you spend time reflecting on the goodness that you've already experienced in the gospel? That'd be a great thing to do this week, wouldn't it? You've got some time for over the bank holiday. Why not spend some time reflecting on that? It is, after all, one of the best treatments for the three-quid gospel problem. If you've been here earlier, you might remember me quoting Don Carson, the scholar, who said... Uh, who described this kind of attitude of, of not wanting to be too keen. He said, I'd like to buy about three quid's worth of the gospel, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. That kind of idea that we don't want to be too keen. Here is the antidote to it. Think about what you've already tasted. It was good, wasn't it? Don't you want more? In fact, it turns out that even three quid worth of the gospel is enough to get you addicted. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, if you've experienced any of this, then you know it's worth it. You know it's worth going all in. And Paul tells us how to do that in the next verse. Verse two, or point two on the handout, now embrace this gospel mindset. 
And we read again from verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is building here on the idea last week that we should strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, that we should stand firm in one spirit, with one mind. And it's emphatic in this verse now, isn't it? 2 verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. We could try and work out the difference between those four things, but I think it's just adding layer upon layer to emphasize the same points. Agree with one another. Work together. Be on the same page. In fact, quite specifically, he wants them to be on the same page as him. As we've said earlier in the series, mindset and thinking are big themes in the book. And Paul has spent recent weeks, recent weeks outlining his own mindset. So as he encourages them to agree with each other, as he encourages them to be on the same page, the page he wants them to be on is his page. He wants them to have the same mindset as each other and the same mindset as him. What is that mindset? Well, verse 3 tells us, doesn't it? Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now there's a challenge, isn't there? As you read this verse and then read it again just to see if you've read it wrong. Did anyone do that when they first came across this verse? Verse 3, it must be saying something else. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Okay, that's, that's probably fair enough. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Oh, well, that's awkward, isn't it? Really that much? It's so countercultural, isn't it? There's so many of the voices I hear in the world call me to put myself first. Look after number one. Make sure you get some me time. Paul says I should be so shaped by humility that others feature higher in my priority list. Whenever presented with a choice, the question isn't which, which one do I want, but which one would serve others better? It's the attitude we saw a couple of weeks ago, the path of joy. That is to say, Jesus first, others second, and then yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. J-O-Y. That's the path to joy. And if you've tasted anything of the gospel, can't you see that that is right? Can't you see that's the right path to take? Not that we're to ignore our own needs. Verse 4 really helps with that, doesn't it? Clearly assumes that we will have our own interests in mind. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's why the false teaching that we were praying about earlier with Paul McKenzie is so horrific. Yes, look to your own interests, but not only your own interests. And isn't that the challenge for so many of us? Our interests so often dominate our focus. And this is a call to look out, to look up, and to think about the interests of others. Even to let their interests rank higher in our priority lists. It's not saying we're ignoring our own needs, nor is it saying we're always giving people just whatever they want. I think that's the narrative nowadays, isn't it? If you really love me, you'll just give me what I want. But frankly, that's just quite a childish way to think, isn't it? That's what children say. 
And as just, just as with children, so with all of us, we don't always want what is best for us. If we are in humility to count others more significant than ourselves, well, we need to choose the course that will actually serve people. We need to look to their interests, to give them what they need. Most importantly, to consider what they need in the gospel and their relationship with the Lord Jesus. That, after all, is how Paul models this attitude throughout the book. Now we're on to the next heading, the example that illustrates Paul, the way that he illustrates this. And I wonder if you notice the way that he has been modeling this all the way through the book. Even today, in verse 2, he says, and we skipped over it, but notice how he says this, if there's any of this, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And I really wrestled with that. That's a really surprising way of phrasing it. He might say, complete your joy, but he says the way that you could complete his joy, make him most joyful, this guy who is on death row, this guy who might be about to die, not released from prison, not going to be to glory, but if they were to have this mindset, he is so other person-centered and particularly concerned for their gospel needs. We've seen it earlier in the book. You could look up at verse 25. He said, convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And when he's making a decision, what would be best? Their progress and joy in the faith would be best. And there's other things you could check out later, which we don't have time for now. Paul is so other person-centered. And that means being especially concerned for others' relationship with Jesus. It's not less than everyday service of other people. It's not less than showing hospitality and caring for people's physical and material needs. But it is more than that. These verses call us to put the salvation of others before our own needs. To make others' relationship with Jesus our highest priority, even if it isn't theirs. To count the rescue of immortal souls as more significant, as most significant. Quite a challenge, isn't it? And maybe you're asking, why? Why is this the mindset? Why does going all in for the gospel look like this? Sure, Paul might be a great illustration of it. But why is that right? Show us your working, Paul. Well, because Jesus is like this. You've probably seen that if you've been looking at the handout or listening to the reading. Jesus is like this. Now we're on to that last heading, the example that transforms. And let me read from Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the theological high point the heart of the letter, a passage so profound that many have suggested that this is a hymn that already existed and Paul's just quoting it here. 
And like so many of our songs, it points us to the sacrificial service of Jesus, his perfect demonstration of this gospel mindset. Jesus Christ, God the Son, was so loving, as we've been thinking about all evening, so committed to serving others, that though he is God, though he had every right to stay in heaven, enjoying the eternal glory at the right hand of the Father, only ever experiencing the service of others, that would be totally right for him. Yet he chose to step into his creation in order to serve us, to become a man, to become a servant, to die, even to die a gruesome death. And he did it to serve us, to take our punishment on himself so that, he, so that we could come into a relationship with him. As our last song will put it, his was a sacrificial offering, atoning for his people's sin. To heal our wounds, he drew our pain. To bring us peace, he bore our shame. As we think about this gospel mindset, the death of Jesus is crucial to keep front and center in our thinking. Partly because we are going to fail to do this. We're all going to fail to embrace this mindset as we should. As Christians, we continue to fail. And we need to keep Jesus' death front and center to remind us that our relationship with God is not dependent on how well we keep this mindset. It's not dependent on our performance, but his, Jesus is. We don't start our relationship with God through faith and then move on to works. No, we will continue to fail. And we need to keep remembering what Jesus has done. But Jesus' death is also crucial to keep front and center because it is the pattern for us. Jesus is the reason why a gospel mindset is so beautifully other person-centered because it is the pattern that he has perfectly laid down for us. His is the perfect embodiment of this gospel mindset. Have this mind among yourselves, says Paul, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you watched the coronation yesterday. It's obviously I was going to use it as an illustration at some point in this talk, wasn't I? <laughs> don't worry, it's coming up again next week. Maybe, maybe it's hard to read this room, how big, um, how big royalists we are. I'm guessing not many of us, massive royalists. Maybe some of you are even those who are arrested uh, outside the coronation. Well done for getting out and getting here in time. But if you saw it, you might remember that bit right at the beginning of the service. I think, in fact, the most the best part of the whole thing. Uh, When King Charles was um, reminding us of this very pattern, he was uh, welcomed in the name of the King of Kings, to which he responded, in his name and after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. Brilliant, brilliant sentence. It's a great commitment from a king to remind us of the real king and to remind us how he should rule. But of course, it's not really a royal commitment. It's a Christian commitment. It's a commitment to have this mindset. Can you see how it is in following Jesus' example that we embrace this mindset? Whenever we come up with excuses that that we want to try and kind of resist what this is calling us to, Jesus' example just gets in the way. What about my rights, I say? Serving others would mean giving up my rights. Well, consider Jesus' rights. 
the eternal glory of heaven, co-equal with the Father, and yet he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. But it's not fair, we say. Other people aren't doing this for me. Well, again, think about Jesus. Imagine that he had waited until someone else did it for him. He'd still be waiting. It is in following Jesus that we embrace this mindset. If you are a follower of Jesus, follow Jesus. Of course, this has got far-reaching implications for us. And it would be easy to get completely weighed down by that. But don't think about 10 steps forward. Think about the next step. I was so encouraged thinking through the different ways that this has been expressed in the church family here. And I won't name anyone because I haven't had time to check with them. Uh, but there are so many different examples, which probably I don't have time to go through all of. I was thinking of the, the couple that often welcome people into their homes. Maybe you have been welcomed by them. Or you know who they are. Uh, who regularly, when a newcomer comes to St. Helens, instead of just having time with the people they know really well, they're like, right, great, let's get them in. Now let's look after them. Let's make them feel welcome because we want them to get to know the church family and to settle and to come to know Jesus better. I was thinking of a pair of small group leaders I know who had a small group member a few years ago who basically spent the whole year telling them how terrible that they were at leading. It was a horrible experience for them. They weren't bad at leading. They were, in fact, great examples of this mindset. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture as they kept holding out the gospel to this group member. Think of someone who regularly makes decisions about work. As someone else who has made a decision about which career to pursue on the basis of what opportunities it gives to serve others with the good news of Jesus. Others who have given their lives to unglamorous and personally draining areas of service because it gives the chance to serve others and particularly their gospel needs. And that's before we touch on uh, the, the kind of big, impressive missionary biographies and the example of Ruth, who we were praying for earlier, and how significant a cost she has paid in order to serve people with the gospel. It's wonderful, isn't it, to think of those different examples of where this cashes out. But all of us need to hear this call. Every one of us who calls ourselves a follower of Jesus, follow Jesus. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if you've tasted any of it, Embrace this mindset. If you are a follower of Jesus, follow Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's still loads to see in these verses. I said this was the theological high point of the letter. We've not even reached the high point of these verses, which is why, as we've been saying, we're going to need to look at this again next week. When Paul shows us his working, he really goes to town. And so we're going to need to see more uh, in the future. In fact, next week's sermon, let me say, is the reason why I wanted us to study Philippians for this whole series. Uh, I think it will be a particularly good week to bring friends. So if you've got anyone who said they'll join you uh, at church at some point, uh, they might come to one of the other events we've got coming up, lots of them around, uh, but why not invite them to next week to hear Philippians 2, if you think that they might come for that. For now, we're going to need to pause and reflect on the working that Paul has already shown us so far, please, would you stick around afterwards and speak with one another about this? There's some questions at the bottom of the handout to try and encourage that. I've slightly changed my mind since I submitted them on Friday. The very last question, what opportunities do you have to put this into practice this week? I think it's a fine question, 
but it doesn't quite hit the major application that Paul is gunning for. Paul says, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. The big concern in this passage is that we would change our thinking, that we would embrace this gospel mindset, the mind of Christ. That's going to have practical outworkings. There'll be loads of ways that we can explore that. But let's have a think about our thinking. Not getting hugely introspective, but thinking about the Lord Jesus and the wonderful example he set for us. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me lead us in a prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for what you have done for us already in the gospel. Thank you for the wonderful thing it is to be one of your people. Thank you for that goodness in the gospel that we have tasted. And we pray that we would be those whose minds are changed by the example of Jesus, that our love would abound more and more to be like his, that our thinking would be shaped to be like his, and so that we would approve what is excellent. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.